right, well, first thing, so um, like Russell was saying, uh, this was brought to our attention uh, by uh, Thomas Burke, who is a uh, friend of the show. And uh, as a part of um, our friendship with Thomas, he recommends a found footage movie to us every week, um, which we have named the TBR Report, um, which stands for the Thomas Burke Report. Report. So sort of like an ATM machine situation there with the naming of that. But regardless, one of the movies that he recommended was uh, the Alien Report, uh, which we um, saw through the... Uh, so. So this is an interesting. So where are we with the movie right now? Because it is available for online rental. But what are the plans to what's the next stage for the film? Because we watched it through Vimeo. Um, so so what, what's where are we with the film right now? Well, first of all, Thomas Burke uh, told me that you guys were doing a podcast. And we know this is a bit of an uh, unusual movie. And I have to say the podcast was so funny. Kevin, uh, who's sitting with me right now, DP'd and produced the show. Um, I direct, uh, directed the Alien Report. And uh, thanks for doing that original review. Um, it was spot on and really funny. And we know our movie's a little unusual. So uh, it was nice to hear uh, you guys make such positive comments about it. Um, well, yeah, we, that's what we love. We, we love. we love these films that are a little, um, you know, on the outside of, you know, the mainstream perspective, right? So when we hear about a film about a guy who has uh, been abducted by aliens through most of his life, decides that he wants to put spy cameras on his person and then, you know, get footage of these aliens, that's right up our alley, man. So, you know, please. Um, yeah, so to answer your question, where is the movie right now? Um, it's spinning in a dark funnel of I don't know what to do with it. Um, it's so it's such an unusual presentation. You know, Kevin and I went to a couple of film markets a couple of years ago just to learn, try and learn the business a little bit. And we thought that the traditional avenue of going through a small distributor and trying to get it out was probably going to be a challenge for this movie. Because what we learned was the first question distributors ask is, who's in it? What's your budget? Who are you? Like all these really smart questions that we knew we didn't have answers for. You know, we're new filmmakers. We didn't put any stars in this. We made this movie paycheck to paycheck. And if you saw the movie, it was shot, you know, it plays like a YouTube selfie video <laughs> in a certain way. And then we layered, you know, 15,000 layers of visual effects on top of this really gritty footage. So it doesn't play like a traditional movie. So I think we decided that if we didn't have a real great offer with someone who would invest in the marketing of it, that we would try to tackle it on our own. And what happened so far is we've had, you know, several sort of low distribution offers where they've offered like, you know, they, they say, we'll give you a minimum guarantee of like 10 or 20 grand. And then we were afraid if we took that, it would disappear into like these film markets and these sort of bundles of movies. And it would never get the exposure to the alien audience who we really want to, who we really want to reach. Like we thought it would never get that exposure um, to all the people who are sci-fi people and UFO believers. You know, we, we put a lot of time and energy into this to, to reach that audience. And so I think right now we're on a discovery mission of how to get it out there. Um, I can keep talking, but to tell, but you know, we have it on Vimeo right now and it's been selling pretty well. 
um, to our yeah, to yeah. Our Let's surprise. talk about that for a minute. Also, yeah. when you mentioned alien audience, I almost jumped in there with gray alien. I I spared you that. Now, <laughs> yeah. as far as now, here's the thing: we've been trying to get you guys on for like weeks. I realize it's our problem with scheduling. We've been manic. We changed the show up. We split it into two separate shows. Thank you for sticking in there. But on top of that, now I had I had detailed notes about three weeks ago. Yeah. And I was really going to come at you with them. Today, I woke up and I was reading a book. And I'm like, oh, I should go look at those notes again. Get ready for the show. Couldn't fucking find them. Went all <laughs> over the house. And then I was like, you know, with any other movie, I would have just jumped on and re-rented it. Except we've rented your film twice. And at the time, it was uh, on Vimeo for $20 a rental. which Everybody listening, it was worth it. That's why we did it twice. I didn't have enough time to watch the whole film again, so I wasn't about to throw another 20 down. But, what? okay, why, why Vimeo? And ha- what was the $20 rental fee about? Um, we have been trying to get into drive-ins, and movie bookers have been saying, believe it or not, they're saying, hey, you're already selling this, so it's already being distributed. And we talked to a... Uh, 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 CAA, which is a agent out in Los Angeles, like they're the big ones. Sure. And they started looking at it and they said, we can't touch this because you already have exposure on it, meaning yeah. you're already selling it. And my reaction to this always was, yeah, to like five or 600 people, like over the last month, it's like it, less people have seen it than at a film festival, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, we just lowered the price too to eight bucks as an experiment. And then all of a sudden the sales like tripled. Um, but we were trying to keep the quick answer is we were trying to keep the rental price high just to not scare away potential drive-in theater owners who, you know, we're going to invest their own time and money into helping promote this and then have their audience turn around and go, well, I can get it on Vimeo or iTunes for five bucks, you know? Now, now two things. One, we've been doing a, uh, found footage film festival. I, I don't know if you were aware of that. We run the unnamed footage fest and. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Cool. Now, we've been doing that for four years now. And year one, that was a big talking point because part of the reason why I wanted to do found footage, and I mean, we all shared this opinion, is that it's a fractured kind of um, like community. And we wanted to give it like a house and a place where we could like enjoy these films in a theater, which a lot of them never even played. And the first problem was, it's like, hey, let's talk about Grave Encounters. It's like, well, it's on Netflix right now. And it always struck me as strange because I'm like, yeah, but that's not in a theater with other people who like this weird movie. Yeah. And I feel I, exactly how you must have when you're like, yeah, it's on Vimeo behind a $20 paywall. Why? That's nothing like going to a drive-in. Also, did it play at any drive-ins? Because that sounds like it would be an amazing experience. You know, it hasn't yet. Um, we're we're just getting into that now. Um, I'm discovering the world of movie bookers. Also, you know, the issue now is COVID um, set all, you know, last summer would have been a great opportunity to do that um, because the drive-ins were low on content. But all the movie bookers, you know, this is like, we've been at this for two weeks now, not for, for several months. But... Um, all the movie bookers are telling us that er- all the backlog from last summer is coming into the drive-ins now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's just 
a rejection, you know, like, no, we can't take your movie because it's, we're backlogged. But I, but I do believe that that is happening right now. Um, but we're pretty relentless. So I, I, you know, I'm talking to a guy tomorrow, um, who made a movie and self-distributed and got it in 86 theaters and brought in like $700,000, um, over the course of a year. So I'm going to talk to him tomorrow, tomorrow and figure out exactly how he did it. I know the route I've been taking has been having some success. We have like three or four drive-ins who are interested in playing it, but it took, it took a few weeks to get responses and to even get, um, interest. And it's still like sort of, um, moving along very slow. And I think we would love to, to amp it up, you know, if we can, we also want to, I mean, full disclosure, we want to see if an audience can sit through this at a drive-in, you know, like, you know what I mean? What the hell are you talking about? Your movie is so easy to watch it. Like your format, you mentioned it was like a, a vlogger essentially on YouTube. Yeah. That's pretty much what people are watching at home. Anyway, I watch 90% YouTube now, unless I'm watching a film and it's, you know, all your exposition is done during the, you have a weird format in your film and I don't want to spoil anything because I know probably 90% of people listening right now haven't checked it out yet. Your your film dynamic is you have a incredible character talking into a camera. He's scarred up and a good looking dude, and the, he's chasing down what I'm guessing is like the Men in Black. And a lot of this is shot through multiple camera angles, and it's chasings. Now we juxtapose that with him being abducted by aliens and having a still camera, a hidden camera like capturing almost like Cenobite grays. And <laughs> I would say that there isn't a boring moment in your movie. I mean, like there's exposition that happens at a damn skate park and it, it offers like unique background. Like it's just visual candy the whole time. Yeah. You know, we weren't sure how to pull this movie off. Or, I mean, we knew we wanted to film it with little micro cameras and, and we shot it on a literally a busted iPhone. But we weren't sure, you know, we love YouTube and we weren't sure if shooting a feature film in more of a YouTube modern format, like how that would play. So we, it was really important to us. Kevin sitting next to me who DP, you know, we, we worked arm in arm the whole time, but you know, he DP'd it and had such amazing ideas. But we knew that if we failed with the acting, at least there would be cool visuals, you know, at least there would be like these tough city uh, backdrops, you know, in, in skate parks and, and, in graffiti alleys. And, you know, we shot in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Chicago. And then you juxtaposition that with, you know, being in, you know, we filmed in a museum and some other places that are like incredibly massive that are all white and super modern looking. And then we, you know, we did some visual effects and painted things out to really give that sort of an unearthly sort of look, but we knew if we failed with the story or the acting that at least, you know, if stoners and skateboarders were out there watching this thing, it would, it, it would at least be fun to watch, you know? The locations <laughs> were absolutely one of my favorite parts of the film. Um, and because when you think about most alien abduction films, it's all rural locations, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. So the fact that we spend, you know, all of our time with this young kid, um, he doesn't fit the bill, right? For the for you know, a, uh, you know, we we learned some backstory here, but 
Um, he doesn't necessarily fit the bill for a, an abduction. So when we got, um, yeah, but you're right. The the dude looks like he should not be uh, spending his life in alleys talking about being abducted. He looks like he should be out there vlogging about dating women and being, you know, hitting a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Right, and that honestly was one of my favorite parts of the film <laughs> to use, you know, an untraditional character like that in sort of a non traditional location, you know, like. Yep, a very urban setting in Chicago it was great. You know, I just for the record, I've watched and Kevin too. We've watched every UFO movie. I've seen all the documentaries, unidentified. You know, um, j- just all of them, and they always take place in a farm or on some back road or a military base, and you never get to see the aliens ever, right? Yeah, and we were like. We were like, let's just break that rule. Let's let's br- break down that boundary and let's stick this in. Like, let's film in a really tough neighborhood because we, you know, we researched, especially myself, uh, read you know thousands of stories. Um, they don't always take place on farms and in military bases. And we thought, let's just offer a new kind of story that takes place in a city, and let's. Let's not make it like it's some lone person out on a farm who's like goes in the in the barn to hide and then the bright lights come through like the wood slots. You know what I mean? Like how many times have we seen that? No, totally. And your choice really makes our narrator that much more believable. Like it's one of those things where, you know, a bully at high school doesn't seem so bad when you're dealing with like brutal domestic violence at home. Yeah. Like it just hardens you in a way. So when he has that like that interesting encounter in the skate park. And he's kind of like, he's kind of like, dude, you're just wasting my time. I don't know. I, where did the skate park characters come from? Because that's probably my favorite location. Yeah. What about my guy with the mullet? Okay. So I'm so glad you guys brought that up because we have a list of 10 funny stories and that one takes the cake because, because first of all, it's not a traditional skate park. It's underneath a highway. In what what is that in Avondale? It's like Logan Square. It's like Logan Square, but on the outskirts of it. And the people that skate there aren't like kids who are going out for a happy joyride. Uh-oh. We went there and scouted it. It's covered in graffiti. Um, we we did the smart. We did a smart thing. We befriended a couple of the like the lead skaters there for a couple, like a week before, um, and we be we befriended them and said, Hey, we want to film here. Should we bring some cases of beer? Like, what should we do? Like to make sure like we don't have any issues. We had permits to film there from the city, but we knew what, when we asked one of the skaters, Hey, when's, when is it busiest at the skate park? The guy goes, man, it's insane on a Friday night. He goes, you guys can't film at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. He goes, not only is it super busy, but it's pretty tough. And he goes, so he goes, as long as you don't film on a Friday night at 10 o'clock, he goes, you'll be fine. And Kevin and I left and we go, all right, let's schedule Friday night, 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we did have some issues there. Uh, um, the guy that played Polo the mullet. with the mullet, his name is Aldo <laughs> Reyes. And he's been in some indie films before. And it doesn't really show on camera because the whole movie, these guys are holding the camera themselves. But he is, he's got to be how big, Kevin? Like 6'3", six, 6'4"? Six, yeah, that's right. He's a big guy. Um, we covered him in tattoos. He combed his hair into a mullet, teardrop. did the teardrop and some other things. But the interesting thing, we rehearsed all day with him 
Um, and then we went to the skate park and started like, I, it, I know the movie looks really natural as if like, you know, the point was to make it look like it's just like some guys are holding a camera, but we had to rehearse every move, like how they were, how they would spin and like where, what the background was. There was things we didn't want to show. So all of that with an, with an actor who, you know, we'd only known for a couple of days to, to work that out took several hours. So by the time we were ready to film, it was like, what, nine o'clock? And all the skaters who we asked if they would be in it, they didn't want to be in it um, because they weren't sure what we were up to. Um, you can see in one of the scenes, uh, in one of the shots, that in the background, there's about 50 skaters all clustered together. There's loud music coming. And when we were there, it was like as if there was a bonfire with tires burning. But it wasn't tires. It was weed smoke. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like... We all had contact highs by what, like 930? Yeah. There was so much weed. I mean, you would think that like David Lynch was like filling the scene with like those foggers, you know? There was so much weed and alcohol and loud music going on. Um, and then at one point, what, you know, we, I think we'd gotten our first good take. They sent over a guy with three pit bulls, right? <laughs> yeah, some dogs and a couple of muscle guys. And they go, hey, you guys, uh, enough. Get out of our skate park. And I go. Uh, he was talking to Patrick at that point. Yeah, he was talking to me at the that tall, point. The tall dude. Cause, the older but Kevin's from that neighborhood. And I think, because uh, I heard you guys swear earlier. I think we can too. A little yeah, yeah, you're good. But Kevin said, Kevin said, uh, get the F out of here. This is my neighborhood too. You can't tell us what to do. We never even said we had a film permit. Like at any point I knew I could have hit. Uh, a cop number that the film office gave us and brought over the police. But I thought that would just end the shooting, you know, or end yeah. the filming, not the shooting. Uh, <laughs> you got to be careful with that. Right. Yeah. But, um, but I'm it was, sure, it, well, those kind of interactions, I'm sure they have to like influence your actors too. Well, Aldo wasn't there at the, like Aldo was over on the cell phone. He was a big guy. So this is the funniest part. While these guys are telling us to get out of their neighborhood, and the pit bulls are sitting there barking and a couple of guys look like they're going to jump us. Kevin said, Hey, you can't tell us what to do. He's like, we, we have a right to be here. We're only going to need another hour. And they were just about to get really hot with us. And Aldo walks up and we made him look like, you know, there's a gang in Chicago called the Latin Kings. Oh yeah. I've heard of them. And we made Aldo look reminiscent of that sort of look. And Aldo comes walking up, has no idea that there's even a confrontation going on. And in all sincerity, just said, hey, fellas, what's up? But the way he said it, the guy with the pit bull goes, oh, is he with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are good. He goes, yeah, you guys are good. And I think he literally thought Aldo was like a gang member or something. And there were also a three or four other guys that we had hired to be with us um, who fit that description as well. So they had walked over. And then it was a non-issue for the next hour or so, right? And then, and then, but the problem was the take we really liked was void of a lot of skaters. Like we wanted a lot of skaters. And I think we had like four or five just sort of zooming through frame. But when Aldo came over and sort of uh, innocently broke it up, they for sure stayed away for the next hour or so. Oh, damn. Yeah, because in the film, there's really not a lot in the background. Like yeah. there's definitely people there and you can tell you're in the environment, but I, I had no idea there were 50 people there. Yeah. You can see it when he spins at one point, there's a, you only see it for a second, but there's a cluster of people over in a corner. And, uh, 
And I will say this, though, not to totally knock the skate park, because there were three or four guys that sort of run the place. You know, they're they're almost like street kids. Okay, and I was going to say, in what capacity? No, they just sort of, they know everybody there. It's for sure a... It's, like for, a hangout. it's a hangout, you know? Yeah. So for sure, those guys were on our side. I think at one point they couldn't control the guy with the pit bulls in, in his group. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in all fairness, it, like I love, I grew up with skaters and I knew we were intruding. We were filming right in the middle of their skate park on their Friday night at 11 o'clock when they all had spent all week waiting to go do that. So we were we were uh, well aware of that too. We knew that we were intruding, and that's why we didn't call the cops, and that's why we try to work it out. We just got lucky that Aldo showed up. Well, Kevin, what the hell are you doing? Why are you bringing Patrick over here? I bet you had a camera <laughs> running. You're hoping he was going to get jumped and make a different kind of found footage movie. Kevin's funny because when we you know when I when we first decided to film this, we were driving around trying to figure out what little town to film in, and I go, Kevin, I go, we need like a place with with graffiti and it's got to look a little tough and you know abandoned buildings and kevin goes yeah we should shoot this in pilsen and i'm like yeah but i don't know pilsen i'm like let's go to like wicker park and logan square and we're driving around all day and kevin's like dude go check out pilsen i'm like yeah but pilsen's like you know a few miles away and we kind of got lost for a minute and all of a sudden we end up in this neighborhood and i go oh my god look at this place it's got graffiti and it's got the, the abandoned buildings oh kevin I go, forget Pilsen. I'm like, we're filming right here. I'm like, what is this town? Kevin goes, dude, it's Pilsen. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell is the book Pilsen, dude? Uh, It's just just like a great place. You know, I mean, best street tacos, there's tons of graffiti, a lot of culture. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's perfect, man. You know, it's beautiful. Um, the murals, the right? The murals are incredible there. A lot of artists. Um, it's really tough and gritty, you know, um, and also a place to get like some of the best tacos in Chicago. You, you um, know, you guys really, you captured that vibe in the movie. I, um, so we did a kind of like fake film fest online and we had a film we showed called Poser, which everybody re- liked to refer to as like a skate movie. And there's something I don't know how to articulate it properly, but your film's about a dude being abducted by aliens, and you have that same kind of authentic, kind of independent vibe where our character would never turn to the government. In fact, they're actually kind of part of the problem here. And I don't know how you can can that, but you guys, you'd managed to do it. I think we spent a lot of time, we, we work professionally um, making TV commercials. So we've spent our whole career on film sets, you know, starting off like working in camera and lighting. And then we learned the paperwork side of it, you know, over 10 years. Um, So we spent most of our careers being on film scouts, you know, and we knew that if we were going to try and pull this off and make it look authentic, that we just had to get into the neighborhood for a couple months. And while we planned and made phone calls and even planned our other shoots like that we were working on professionally, we spent... We worked out of our like my car, my truck, mm. and just spent a lot of time there, um, looking at sunset times and looking at alleys and finding safe places to film because we do have like a bunch of pursuit shots where, and it's almost stupid that a kid's chasing like men in black cars, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it's like you know, well, he'll never catch them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we did want to do you know as safely as we could because we didn't have 
much, we didn't have any budget to be locking down streets, even though we, we did here and there. Um, we didn't have any budget to really do it the way that we're hired to professionally. So we had to find good, quiet spots in these neighborhoods that still carried that authentic look. Um, and we ended up sort of falling in love with Pilsen anyway. Like there's a lot of things that we put in the movie. There's a scene where, you know, in the beginning of the movie where he's trying to bust out windows and he busts out like the wrong person's window and he gets his ass kicked. Yeah. Sure. You know, in the background, there's this beautiful mural of this girl wearing a blue hat. It's on a big wall and you can't miss it. Maybe you missed it just from seeing it once. But if you ever watch it again, there's this mural, like almost every scene has a mural. And we love that spot because the girl in the mural, her father painted that because she died in gun violence. She took a random bullet. Mm. And we thought it was a really good spot to sort of put a subliminal little nod to Pilsen, you know? Yeah. Because some guys, some guy, you know, painted a mural of his own daughter. And we love that spot because the whole time we're filming the scene, you know, she's staring at us. And it was almost like a little angel was watching over us and making sure everything went well, which it did, you know. Yeah, me me and Clark, uh, we watched your film twice. And one of the things we talk about throughout the movie was just how beautiful the city was. I mean, we're out here on the West Coast in um, the Bay Area. And instantly when we see brick buildings, we're like, okay. We know it's the East Coast. I don't think we could. Fi- we do we figure out it was Chicago? Yeah, oh, yeah. We were talking about it, but I I think narratively your film really works because of all that culture you captured in Pilsen, and it's really apparent when it's not there. Like when we're up in the like surreal avant garde reality that is the prison of a gray alien uh, saucer, the lack of like city noise and art and kind of like the metallic like i don't know torture chamber it it just feels so strongly juxtaposed yet that's where you know norm i'm a horror fan and i'm an enthusiast that's why i do this i'm by no regard a expert on anything and i i would show up to your film just to see the fucking aliens yet when i rewatched it all, all of the stuff that I really love is just watching the dude on a bike try and chase down the men in black. So uh, I don't know. I, you nailed it. There's something I've, I don't know if you were actually aiming for that, but it really elevates your film. I think, um, I think we, we for sure, that was like a primary goal was that juxtaposition of, cause you know, we're big fans of sci-fi and horror and we really wanted to show a contrast, not only like visually, but also with the audio. So um, I think we did a good job of blending the soundtrack. You know, Pilsen doesn't have as many dogs barking as what you hear in the movie and as many sirens, uh, although half the sirens are real and half are are added later. (laughs) But we really try to like, you know, do this loud city noise. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're in the whole, like a whole nother scene that has a whole different audio track to it. Um, and, and we thought the combination of that would almost be like a shocker, like, like one editor watched the movie and he goes, Hey, you know, what's missing in your film. And I go, what? And he goes, build up. He goes, when you watch jaws, he goes, there's this like, dun, 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 dun. And he's like, and you sit there and you start to get tense. He goes, he goes, and he was criticizing us. He goes, but you don't have that. He goes, there's no dun, 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 dun. He's like, you're in the city. And then you know, a half a second later, you're in some otherworldly bright white space. 
And he originally thought, and I think it was originally a problem, but we did some uh, tricks with the audio and edit to really, I guess we killed the dun, 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 dun. But we thought it was a different sort of movie experience, right? Because most movies try to do that build and we just annihilated it and threw it in the trash. And I I don't know, maybe there's a reason why successful movies do that because it works. Um, But we thought as an experiment, because there was no studio or anyone telling us what to do. This would be a more fun thing to tackle and see if we could pull it off. You know? Well, precisely because you know that that you know like the very pointed score and things like that. It's a hand holding technique, right? Because it's you know we see it a lot in horror about like here's where the scare comes. So, um, you know, you certainly have the freedom to to go about that and you know uh, sort of skip that part of it. Frankly, the only <laughs> the only disappointment I had with the film. Uh, was that I uh, did want that once we did figure out it was in Chicago, I immediately wanted to have some sort of nod uh, to my beloved Lori Lightfoot and the Corona Destroyer. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'll, I'll forgive you guys for that. Well, here, to, you know, because to pivot away from Lori Lightfoot, we should uh, never I'm, pivot away from Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> now, the Jaws thing, I think he actually dodged a bullet there without realizing because. Uh, as Thomas Thomas Burke would uh, point, he's got you know all his films on I am on a uh, letterbox, and he's just like a found footage pioneer, and he represents what a lot more uh, lazy fans uh, would like to do but never would, and our the found footage fans were really hawkish, and we like to pay attention to all of the the parameters that make our film so great, and I think. Oh, man. So we had a guest on, uh, Dean Aliato, who did Alien Abduction. And he spoke... I, I, this is a pre-Blair Witch alien found footage film. UFO abduction? UFO abduction. Sorry, yeah, so many, yeah, and he spoke about the camera effect, like the software malfunction. Yeah. And he always cited that as a reference to Jaws, which, you know, the music in Jaws, it was supposed to be an indication to the audience that this time we're not fucking around. Like, you only hear that music when Jaws is actually there. So he wanted to have an indicator that was visual for much like what you were talking about. Now, that evolved into paranormal activity and that low, like, thing that every goddamn movie copied afterwards. And it kind of turned into an audio gag. Like, where if you're, like, a weathered weirdo who watches all these found footage films online like I am, you kind of want to like roll your eyes. You're like, okay. Like it's, it becomes a handholding technique, like Clark said. So I think your, your rejection of that actually keeps people on their toes more. Yeah. I, I, we didn't know how this was going to play. We saw it at a film festival on a really big screen. And I think Kevin and I were, it was, we're sort of nervous about going. Um, and we spent the day drinking beer and having fun, and we didn't go to the screening until like the very last second. Are we talking about uh, Dean Aliato's film? No, ours. And oh, okay. And and why would they be talking about Dean Aliato's film? I don't, I, I I felt like I missed let's, that. Let's stay on task. Yeah. <laughs> but we we weren't sure how an audience was going to react, and then we we sat there and watched people watch it on this big screen. It, it was cool to see it on a big screen because we weren't sure how the visual effects would hold up. But it was really cool to see people sitting, watching, and sort of holding their face. Right, Kevin? Mm-hmm. 
Like they were sort of holding their face while they were watching it. And then we went, Hey, maybe this might have a shot at theaters. You know, we, I wasn't sure if it was going to fail or not on a big screen. Oh, how Um, many film fest have you guys played? You know, COVID completely shut us down. So we, we started submitting, um, last summer and got into a little one called the mad monster film festival. Um, and another one called uh, Nevermore. And we were supposed to show and one in Australia and a couple other places. And then when everything started going online and streaming, we wanted to be there, you know, to see it on a screen. Yeah. So we pulled out of a few and just started focusing on um, trying to figure out how to distribute this. So I think it showed it two, And I think we were probably going to be in another four or five. You know, can I also... We noticed that we took a long time to finish this movie. Um, we didn't have a budget to work on it. So it was a lot of like me falling asleep at my computer after work from like, you know, I'd work from like, I'd get home at like 10 o'clock at night, then work on it till four in the morning. Then my kids, my little kids would be slapping my, on my face going, dad, dad, wake up. You're drooling on your computer. You know? There was like a couple years of that between me and another guy who did visual effects. And so I was really anxious to try and see if we could start getting it to an audience. And when COVID shut down the whole film festival, like did it shut you guys down too last year? Oh yeah. That's why we went online. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so I was really excited about the film festivals and it started getting in, but then it shut down. It also allowed us to finish, to fix the ending. I, I mean, I don't know if it was much of a fix, but, um, 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 now don't give anything to, away. Now, if people haven't seen it, don't, don't give anything away. We're trying to get people to go watch it. Lori well, it was in a film festival and I, it sold out at one of them. And, and then someone said, Hey, you guys wrap up your ending too tight. And then I, uh, I got, I showed it to Oren Paley who made paranormal activity and he goes, Patrick, you have to finish the ending in a certain way. And he gave me some good ideas. <laughs> Wait so a minute. Like, Hold on. Oren Pelly was giving you advice on how to end a movie. Didn't he famously get his movie distributed because Steven, or, uh, Spielberg told him how to finish his? Yeah. Yeah. I talked to him. Um, I get Oren Paley on the phone. I found out, uh, I, I found someone who knew him indirectly. Like, I didn't know this person, but I shot them off. We had finished a pretty good trailer. And I shot this person a trailer and I said, hey, I, I, or, Oren's into aliens and he might want to know more about our movie. Would you forward this to him and ask him if he would talk to me to give me some advice? And uh, about 30 minutes later, Oren Paley emailed me and said, what the heck is this movie about? Uh, tell me more about it. And then I told him a little bit more about it over email. And I go, come on, man. I go, will you talk to me about this on the phone? And uh, he watched the movie and then he said, yes, he would talk to me. And he, uh, he gave me some advice on, uh, how to fix, how to fix the end of the movie. Did, do you want to hear that? It's kind of funny story. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah. Because your ending is it's unique as it is. And I'm curious why he sent you in that direction. Well, he told me, um, I can't do his voice unless I imitate him. And I hope, (laughs) I hope it doesn't offend him. I talked to him for five hours on the phone and he was genuinely one of the nicest smartest kindest people he was like really fun to talk to like you guys he's funny and he laughs a lot and i go orin i go come on i go help me with this movie 
He goes, no, Patrick. He goes, I'm retired. He's like, I, he goes, I don't need to do this anymore. He's like, I'm not helping anybody. He's like, but I, he goes, but I'll help you. you know, he's like, I'll talk to you. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, but you need to fix the ending of your movie. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, oh, he goes, it's bullshit, man. He goes, you know, he goes, I, he goes, when I made my movie, he goes, I, uh, he goes, I had this beautiful ending. It was amazing. He goes, I loved it. He goes, I knew people would love it. And he goes, but the studio said, no, Oren, it's shit. You have to fix it. <laughs> and he goes, and I, he goes, so we reshot the ending. He goes, and they paid a lot of money. We reshoot this ending. And he goes, Patrick, he goes, I hated this new ending. He goes, I hated it. And he goes, and it was not the beautiful ending that I had. And he goes, and then they made me go to a theater and watch this bullshit ending. And he goes, and I'm sitting there and the ending comes and I'm watching it and I hated it. He goes, but then the audience started to clap and he goes, oh, I love the new ending. <laughs> and he goes, and you have this problem. He goes, you need to fix your bullshit ending. He goes, he goes, just, you know, you can do this and do that. And I don't remember exactly what he said to fix it. I didn't go with what he said. But it got me, another person told me we should fix it. And uh, he got me thinking, he initially got me thinking of a better way to finish it. Because we wanted to transition, we, uh, you know, we made this as a trilogy, you know, in theory, if we ever are able to make a part two and part three. But it, we wanted to lead in sort of into the next movie. And uh, we also wanted, um, we wanted a bright and colorful sort of trippy end to it so yeah well you succeeded there i man your movie is like this little glimpse into this giant potential sandbox of like i don't ufo storytelling and i'd be i'd be amiss if i didn't i have to so you say you have no money yeah. So did you hire real aliens to be in your movie? How did you pull that <laughs> off? You know, there's a guy named uh, Anthony Kozar who won like three seasons of Face Off, I think. Do you know that show? Yeah. So he's in Chicago. I don't even know how old he is, but he looks like he's about 32. And he's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and he is, he is an amazing visual, uh, visual effects painter. Uh, do, you know, he does makeup. And as I was trying to get people to get on board, um, I knew that, you know, like the way I initially got money to finance this movie was I, I saved about 30 grand to buy a used truck because my other truck was falling apart. It was 10 years old and had 140,000 miles on it. And I looked at my wife and I go, Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get that truck. I think I'm going to make a movie. And she, goes, <laughs> she goes, she goes, what do you mean? And I go, yeah, I'll just keep driving my my old truck. And I knew that a big chunk of, out of that 30 grand initially was going to go toward trying to get some, some makeup artist on board, you know? And as I talked to everyone in town, everyone kept saying this guy, Anthony's name. And I called him up. Um, cause I have some connections, you know, through the commercial side and I go, Hey Anthony, will you, will you work on our movie? And he, I told him what it was about. And he goes, man, he goes, I'm really into aliens, which was good. Right. <laughs> then I showed him a couple of like tests and he goes, wow, this is really cool. And I go, all right. So you're on board. And he goes, no, man. He goes, I'm triple booked for the next six months. Oh. He, goes, I'm on, he goes, I'm on the exorcist. And what was the other, there were like four other movies shooting in town and he was doing all of them, like with him and his people. And I go, Oh, please. I'm like, cause he was the only guy that had great ideas. And, and we had pulled together probably 
you know, 700 renders and pictures of the way we wanted these things to look, which are all based on like what real alien abductees like really drew when, you know, like if you believe, if you buy into like what is really being reported, yeah, we try to really stick with what, like literally like what they draw when, after they've had an encounter experience. So I knew I had to get someone like this, uh, uh, Anthony Kozar on board, but he was so busy. And then because we work in the business a little bit, you know, not on the movie side, but on the commercial side, I go, I go, uh, Anthony, what? I go, do you ever have any days that cancel? And he goes, yeah, all the time. Because, you know, like a techno crane will break down, then I'm off for a day. And I go, what if I just keep in touch with you and we wait and then we jump on it? And like a total rock star like he was, he goes, all right, deal. He goes, so I will basically call you one or two days before, and then you have to pull everything together. Wow. So we did that. We, I, a friend of mine owned a studio that we filmed at all the time anyway. And so we had a couple of places we knew we could film last minute. And we had a couple of friends lined up that we knew we could, could help us. And we waited for Anthony's call. And it came like what, like two weeks later? It came fast. And he goes, he called us like three days before and he goes, okay, he goes, uh, exorcist canceled for a day. He goes, let's do this alien thing. (laughs) (laughs) And we literally like rushed to the studio. Like we painted the green screen. Um, we got on the phone because we were basically like wedding planners for what we do. You know, we produce like, you know, other shoots. So we're, we're good at like jumping on the phone and we, we got everything going and then Anthony shows up with another girl named Anna and all their equipment, they, they airbrush and they do these techniques that I haven't seen before. And that dude, Kevin described him. He's like, he's like a master painter. I mean, he paints people. So we had these art models, you know, who were fine with, a, you know, being nude and he had to paint them head to toe, but he, he worked like he was on some kind of Adderall. Like <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't do drugs, you know, but he worked like, I've never seen anyone work harder or more precise. Every like if you really look at these aliens, they're like we did these vein technique. He also shadowed the spines. He he painted shadows on them throughout and really like gave this different sort of perspective to make them look inhuman that shows up really well on film. But I'm not I'm not kidding you. He and this girl painted like they were on speed. <laughs> for, what 10 hours straight it was a long day yeah. it was long like <clears throat> like i go anthony how long will it take you to get the first one done he goes five hours and i almost swallowed my throat right I I was like, now I we, like, we we were privileged we have a buddy who's uh an industry working fx guy and he he'll call me from shoots when he's drinking and whatever and he'll talk about like how long some of the shit takes five hours sounds incredibly short like yeah he must, that was- yeah he's a pro that was for one alien. So, and he had another assistant who is just as fast as him and they were working in tandem, but I'm not kidding. They, I think we have a little bit of footage that we put at the end of the movie of them, but they were spray painting and painting and, and, you know, doing the, the headgear and, uh, literally nonstop. Now, Patrick, this is a, this is a compliment. If I, if you didn't add that footage in the credits, I would have thought they were CG and not bad CG because clearly they weren't, they were real people. Yeah. It's just the level of detail and the environment makes you almost hit on like this uncanny Valley of like cinema. 
And I had such a hard time pinpointing like what was a prosthetic. And I mean, clearly it felt like a green screen, but like in front of that green screen, I had no idea. And I, I, dude, amazing job. The one thing I have to know about, how did he transform their eyes to make them look like further apart and inhuman? Because that's the most striking part to me. Yeah, that's what we built the whole movie based on that. Like I knew if we couldn't put like we didn't shoot anything until we figured out how to do that. So that was a visual effect technique that we developed. We knew we couldn't afford to do 3D mapping, which is when, you know, you remap over someone's face. Right. So we knew that, the you know, sometimes when you watch a movie, you're like, hey, how did you do that effect? And you think it's one answer. Like, oh, we just, you know, shot it on a techno crane and, and they were on wires, you know? We just hired an alien. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we knew, like... We knew with this one, it was a multi-step effect. So we knew we had to get them painted right. And we knew we couldn't use prosthetics because they're super expensive and then they look fake, you know? And we knew we didn't want to do the 3D mapping because even that, when you watch movies, um, um, it, it looks really heavily CG. But there's this guy, there's this genius guy. You ever heard of Chris Cunningham? No. He uh, He did videos for this you know, maybe the most famous underground techno music in the world called Aphex Twin. Okay. And Chris Chris Cunningham was this 22-year-old guy out of England who is such a genius with visual effects that like Stanley Kubrick tried to hire him and Steven Spielberg and all these people try to work with him. And he, I think he's a lone wolf genius and he couldn't work on this I can't speak for him because I don't know him, but I'm guessing he couldn't work on this grand scale because he was so used to working on his own. Yeah. And he disappeared into obscurity lately, like for the last 10 years. I think I heard he DJs. (laughs) Yeah. But he, his work is, you know, a hundred years beyond ahead of anything else I've ever seen. And I, I started to figure out how he was doing his a little bit. And really was inspired by his work. So I knew that like what he does, it's a multi-step process when he makes his creatures. It's not just like prosthetics. Like a lot of people just go, okay, the prosthetics are great. Let's film. It's like combination of prosthetics and then like three different visual effects techniques that combine like, you know, morphing, like, which is like when you expand and then also like what you see in after effects where people actually cut and move, you know? Yeah, so we did a we did a combination of all those things, and then still at the end of the day, after a year of working on that, they still didn't look good. And then I discovered a little technique that I literally, you know, when I talked about like falling asleep on my computer, I had to go through frame by frame, click by click, and redo every single alien to widen their heads a little and move their eyes a little and shrink their chins a little. And there was no other way to do it. I think maybe Hollywood has a way to do it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think like they have a warehouse of visual effects people, but I did it like the painful way, like giving myself carpal tunnel syndrome, um, click by click after already having processed it through like another genius guy I worked with who, who knew how to do visual effects really well. So did that answer your question? Patrick, dude, you nailed it. And honestly, I've, as a horror fan, you know, we really, we come up appreciating practical effect and makeup. 
And only in the past couple of years, I think during COVID, me and Clark started watching uh, a YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. And it's all these young dudes who just talk about like the art of visual effects. And it's, man, it's a thankless job. They do so much damn work. You have to be up on technology. You have to be like, understand the language of film. And I remember uh, Guillermo del Toro came out here and he did a talk. And I think it was the day that he announced he wasn't going to work with Konami on the uh, Silent Hill game. And in that, he also announced that Pacific Rim 2 wasn't going to be his movie. And he mentioned that people, like he was very angry about how people would constantly talk about, oh, it's just CG garbage anyway. Who gives a shit? And he told this story about how he would show up every day to the studio and go frame by frame to look at the, the way the ocean moved. And he was like, if this shit doesn't look real, the movie fails. So, I mean, I have a vague understanding of how this shit works but it sounds like you took the only way to make it happen and for, well for people listening it it works the film fucking works visually it's beautiful man well you know um thank you for saying that first of all um i can tell you it was a it was a little bit of a hard road um for filmmakers who were out there trying to shoot their first film or their first project i think we learn more from failing <laughs> and just being relentless. Like, you always do. Like another good story is when we went to that film market, we had shot half the movie and then, and then Kevin and I jumped on an airplane and went out to Los Angeles to a film market just to be around, you know, other companies that are trying to sell their movies just to sort of, you know, spend a couple of days walking around the hallways of these places selling thousands of movies. And while we were there, um, I was messing around in my, a phone and figured out the email for the president of Blumhouse. Okay. You know? Yeah. And just on a whim, I go, Hey, do you guys want to see some aliens? Like I learned that keeping emails really short is way better than trying to write a long, sincere, please watch my movie thing, you know? Uh, yeah. So I literally, I think the email said, Hey, you want to see some cool ass aliens? And that's all I said to the president of Blumhouse. And then I put <laughs> a little test footage in. And the guy wrote back three minutes later and said, yeah, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., meet our rep at Starbucks. And so we went and met the rep thinking like, wait, is this how Hollywood works? Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're like, wait, it's, they're right. It's so easy. It's so easy to get a meeting with Blumhouse, you know? We're like, this is great. Like, all these meetings are going to come, you know? And so uh -oh. we go to you meeting. About to say a dude jumped you at Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, they maybe could have. I mean, so we go and we meet with a rep at, uh, at Blumhouse. And they're like, okay, what is this thing you have? And so we showed them a little bit of test footage. And they go, this is really cool. Um, is the movie done? And I go, no. And they go, well, send us a final version of it when it's done. And we'll take a look at it. And it was like, what, short meeting, right, Kevin? Yeah, it was real short. This was with this girl named Olivia who minutes. couldn't have been nicer. Yeah, she was great. Really nice, you know, guarded because she didn't know who we were. We were unaffiliated with anything, but it was really cool. Like, what a cool company to respond so quickly and then to send a rep to take the time out of their day. Because I'm, I'm sure, you know, they're at the height of their success, right? Yeah. And they, she, she was waiting there for us, too. Yeah, she was waiting. Yeah, and she was we, early. Yeah, she was there. And we, but we go and meet with them. And then, you know, I get some personal emails and then, you know, five months later, 
which is still a year and a half away from when we actually finished it. I thought we were finished, you know, and I sent them a, a, what I thought was a finished version, but it still had some green screen in it. And they said, Hey, this isn't for us. The visual effects aren't up to par and it still needs a lot of work. And I go, well, give us some money. And I go, I'll bring on a, <laughs> yeah. I go, I'll bring on a visual effects team. I go, I go, me and this other guy that are doing it can't possibly finish this. You know, I go, I understand the level of professionalism you guys, you know, want. And I go, but we're trying to film this sort of obscure video, YouTube kind of look, which is, doesn't normally fit your, fit your uh, profile. But also, I would love to step this up into more of a 3D sort of visual effects experience. I go, we have all kinds of shortfalls. Just give us some money. I go, and not a lot. You know, like at the, in my mind, I was thinking like, give me 50 grand, give me 100 grand, and I'll go at it hard with like, you know, a small team of visual effects artists and we'll, and we'll bring it up to par. And I said that to them and they said, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> but I go, wait, that's exactly how it works, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, no, that's not how it works. I still don't know how it works then. Or maybe they just were so busy or maybe they saw how low budget our movie was or for whatever reason. But that, that was the last time we talked to Blumhouse. And, um, but w uh, my point of all this was because it was such a hard rejection, it made us internally go, okay, yeah, we got to step this up because we had a great opportunity and we showed it to them too early and we showed it to them with green screen in it and our soundtrack wasn't done. And we assume that film professionals can imagine beyond something, but unless you take the time right? Like hours or days to really explain what you're going for, which we didn't do with them. We didn't have that opportunity. I think, you know, it's human nature to just, to not know, you know, or to not understand where someone's going. So what we were very clear about where we wanted to go with the visual effects, I think they just looked at our product for what it was as they were seeing it in real time and went, it's too, it's too big of a finish for us to even want to tackle. Um, and it's not even in the scale of movies that we make. And um, we're well beyond the paranormal activity kind of movies that sort of began our company. Or it's above of what, you know, they're normally peddling out there because it's, let's be honest here, Bloomhouse peddling out a lot of bullshit, okay? So, frankly, uh, y'all's is on a different par. <laughs> no, however, I mean, you know, sadly didn't get a payday on that. But, yeah. you know, no, no, Patrick, rob, rob the bank when you can. I, I'm curious. Now, we have a, uh, a theory among our programmers here at Up and we think that Hollywood tried to reintroduce the found footage film with The Woods. You remember when they were doing that big Comic-Con push and then they're like, The Woods is revealed to be Blair Witch. Yeah. And it was kind of like, it kind of went off without a bang. And I mean, we went, we watched it at the Alamo and it was a fucking amazing film. And then, you know, right after that, it was fine. I, I loved it. And that's a different day, though. We can talk about that later. Then Phoenix Forgotten rolled out, and it's kind of like, were they thinking that found footage was going to be back in the theaters, and this would be a big payday? And Phoenix Forgotten went off with even, you know, the, the, the harmony of cricket to it. And that was a great movie, too. And it kind of seemed like nobody cared about aliens or found footage at the time. So I wonder if they're running off of that, where we look at now in 2021... And we have the government putting out all sorts of redefining what a UFO is. And Rogan's talking about UFOs every day. And, 
you know, it's kind of back in popular culture. So I feel like the stars are aligning for you. Pardon my pun. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, we got lucky with the timing. We didn't know that the UFO report was coming out. Um, we just thought there was a good, like a good audience. You know, uh, Kevin and I have been talking about ten other movies we want to make, and we're really into pursuit and chase things. So we we have this other motorcycle movie we want to make. Like a, it's not alien related at all. <laughs> <laughs> but. When we were talking, like trying to figure out how to get some money to make any one of these, a director buddy of mine said, hey, just make that alien one. You know, you can shoot it on a GoPro and an iPhone and you don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, And so we sort of that sort of got the ball rolling with why to make this one. But we didn't know that the stars were going to align um, with the UFO report. We just figured there was a niche audience. Um, You know, we. we, we were watching YouTube one time and like a dot in the sky, like you've seen all those videos, right? Yeah. A dot in the sky got like 20 million hits in like two weeks. And we thought, well, what will happen if we actually make some cool looking alien footage, um, a cool looking alien footage movie? Could we get that same kind of reaction? And that was sort of what cast the experiment off was we thought there was a niche audience for it, but you're right. The, the, the UFOs have been in the news every day and I feel pretty damn lucky that we base this on sort of the real phenomena um, that people are reporting versus just, you know, like Arrival or, uh, or some of these other movies that like, you know, have an octopus as the alien. <laughs> yeah. Like we wanted to go hardcore, like, like, wh- like there's no other movies also that have like that tackle the men in black and the human hybrids and the aliens. Right. Well, you know, there's no other movie like yours where, the men in black and the aliens are fully on screen. Like, you know, with, with found footage, we do a lot of storytelling in the dark. Like we have, um, you know, we're exploring an abandoned hospital with one camera and on that camera is a light and it's the only light we have. And, you know, a lot of the movies like the Blair Witch being the, the prime example is told without showing. And your film is completely the opposite. And while you were talking about it, I was thinking, I know your marketing strategy. Now, I I just got done reading a book that was talking about The Last Exorcism and kind of the wave of um, exorcism found footage movies and how one of the slogans for him was the movie the Vatican didn't want you to see. Now, that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's like the Blair Witch, like we got some, uh, some real footage here. But audiences, they haven't believed that since the Blair Witch. So I feel like you could do something along the line of the movie the government didn't want you to see, knowing full well that there's a tongue-in-cheek quality there that people would show up and, you know, they'll be greeted with uh, uh, the most beautiful alien in uh, a great blonde do <laughs> that they'll <laughs> ever see. Um, we, for sure, so, for sure the Blair Witch was was one of my favorite movies. What do you like the Blair Witch? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing movie. I remember walking out of that. Patrick, I feel like you're rejecting my proposal. Oh, about the, <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the idea. Yeah. You have yeah. it because you're on the show, but I'm, it's fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, the movie, the government doesn't want you to see. Whatever. Yeah. The movie, the government doesn't want us to see. 
Um, oh, see, Kevin's on board. Yeah, that's how you market it. <laughs> the same thing, witch in the woods. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. We, you know, I wasn't sure how to. We're still trying to figure out how to market this. We did an experiment on Reddit where we just put some, you know, like how Reddit are really tough people. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. We put some footage up on Reddit without explaining it. And half the people thought it was real. It was just like a 10 second clip. And the other half thought it was fake. And both halves hated us, <laughs> you know, for not explaining it. So the people that thought it was real got really pissed off when they found out it was fake. And the people that thought it was fake hated us for posting fake footage because they're really into aliens. But the minute, <laughs> the minute we said, hey, we made a sci-fi movie and we're not trying to trick you, both halves uh, were nice to us. Now, what's, so, wait, hold on. What subreddit were you in? Oh, boy. Um, we just posted on like all the alien subreddits. That's your we problem. Just, now, yeah. let me give a shout out to the little uh, subreddit for found footage horror. If you jumped on there and had that charismatic, scarred up vlogger talking into camera and then you showed a little bit of the aliens, they would have loved you for it because it's fucking amazing looking. Yeah, we, we use Reddit for a little bit to, we thought they were a really hard crowd and we were trying to figure out how to market this. And that steered us very clear of trying to do anything um, to try to trick people. Not that we were ever going to do that because I think Blair Witch sort of uh, put that one in the can, right? Yeah, people aren't dumb. Yeah, I think, you know, the whole world ran to the movie theater to see A Witch in the Woods. And then after it was over and, at the, and the grand experiment was over, um, I for sure knew that that would never work again. I, I didn't think it would. And then Paranormal came out and it sort of worked, right? For sure. I think audiences just, you know, they got split into two groups. One, like the casual blockbuster going crowd. They're like, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fuck off. And the other group was kind of like, hey, I enjoyed that like faux reality. And, you know, that's, you're, you're talking to us now. People who are willing to like, you know, buckle up and go for the ride, they're down for it. Like, make, it, make an alternate reality for me to live in for an hour and a half. When we first started showing the movie a little bit on Vimeo, we didn't have those end credits where you see a lot of the behind the scenes. And some people really thought it was real. And I, that seems incredible to me, you know, because I figured after, you know, watching it for a few minutes, you would start to figure out it's just a movie. So I first, you know, Kevin and I talked about this. We for sure didn't want to trick anybody. So that's why we put those end credits in. Um, it was incredible to me that, you know, because you've seen it, you you figure out right away it's a movie. But through even on Facebook, through marketing, we still get a lot of people who are renting it. You know, not a lot, but people are still renting it thinking it's a real presentation of real footage. And I, I never say this publicly, but I always want to, you know, on, the, on Facebook, but I always want to say, man, if this was real, you know, this would change the world and it would be headlines, right? If someone had this kind of vivid alien footage, don't you think that would change the entire world? Yes, of course. That's why you need to process this is like <laughs> this, that is, uh, that should go towards, you know, all of your hard work and the craftsmanship that you put into the film. And you should process it like that. You should not process it of like, oh, look at these poor, stupid people. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, <exactly. laughs> I think if you had real footage of aliens, you would get the exact same response out of Reddit that you got, where half the people are like, hey, fuck you, it's yeah. fake. And the other half would be like, no, it's real, but I think that they're putting it out there as a disinformation campaign. Oh, you mean like the coronavirus? <laughs> <laughs> or anything. I mean, you know? 
just you know, uh, Lori Lightfoot. Shout out. Per, per, perspective is you know, it's different wherever you are in America. And hey, you know, one of the most interesting things that came out of sort of marketing and showing this movie so far is we've had totally bona fide, legit. Yeah, I mean, I can't vouch for them, but people who are writing us all the time saying they're uh, products of alien abduction and alien encounters. And you never know over Facebook or email or a phone call who's lying and who's not. But I can tell you most of the people who have been contacting us because they have no one else to contact come off sounding incredibly sincere and very real. And their stories are so beyond what we show in this movie that it's pretty incredible. I didn't, I wasn't, that's the one thing, the one takeaway from this movie I wasn't expecting that um, I think is even more fascinating than the movie itself or, or any sort of conversation we've had so far about this process has been this sort of uh, uh, back end people coming forward out of these shadows saying, um, I don't know who to talk to about this, but this is what's happening to me. And what's been their feedback of the film? Um, so an interesting, uh, um, one woman posted on Vimeo, uh, I really like the movie. I feel like you guys hit a lot of the core parts of it. She said, the one thing you're missing is when they actually show you their, uh, your offspring as little kids and they, and because they're telepathic and they can't speak yet, um, they gather, she goes, you're not showing the most important thing when like offspring gathers around you, like little cats, like little kids, and they scratch at your arms because they can't talk to you yet. But like 10, 15 little offsprings will come around you and scratch at your arms. And she goes, and I think that's something I've seen my whole life. And I, I think you should have included that in the movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> have you ever seen the documentary about uh, David Huggins? called love and saucers no all right uh does he have that well it's a dude who lost his virginity to an alien woman <laughs> uh, you know when, when we send you all the information about the episode i'll include a link to the imdb and uh oh, that'd be great you got to check that out also i think you're probably going to get more of that as ufos become more and more part of our zeitgeist again so there was a guy from uh a guy wrote me who uh works at nasa in the jet propulsion lab or he yeah. was a senior tech there for 20 years and he said he loved the movie and it was a great uh way to open a door to a conversation about what nasa knows oh and i said i go so i go answer me this nasa is sending rovers to mars to search for like micro micro uh microbial thousand year old little specks of uh, ancient life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in the meantime, supposedly there's UFOs in our skies. So how is it that NASA is investing all this money to go search for like ancient microbial possible bits of, of life, but they aren't focusing on the things in the skies, you know? And he responded and said, Oh, they know about them. <laughs> and I go, well, <laughs> I go, well, what do you mean they know about them? And he said, I can tell you with some level of certainty they know about them, but they sort of tiptoe around it because they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know what they are. And, um, and they're not sure how to process it or, or, or how to even deal with it. And, then, and so that was, and I said, well, do you know firsthand? Oh, no. And he said, I've worked here long enough to hear the talk in the hallways 
to, he goes, that's my assessment. He goes, no, he goes, I don't have, you know, proof to share with anyone or anything that, you know, a government would want to hear. And he said, but he goes, that is the chatter in the hallways is that we all know that this is going on. Um, and he didn't say that with any level of, you know, confidence, like, Hey, keep it a secret. I think he was just being very matter of fact and, uh, even responded on a Facebook comment and said sort of the same thing. So I don't, I don't think I'm giving away some big secret, but he said that even as far as he's concerned from being an employee there, that they too are, uh, sort of miffed by the whole thing and don't know how to deal with it, which, which if I can just jump on one other thing, like, I personally don't believe that there's, you know, bases full of crashed UFOs that the government knows about and that the government is keeping this a big secret. I think, in my own opinion, that um, I don't think world governments know much about what's going on. And I don't think if these UFOs are legit, I don't think they would let a government keep a UFO. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I don't I don't believe in that conspiracy that there's underground bunkers with UFOs. I think there's no way in hell that if these UFOs can shut down nuclear bases like they've supposedly done and if they're and if they're uh interfering with our technologies, I think there's no way they would let us have their technology because they're purposely staying elusive if everything we read is true, right? Yeah. Like they're so, they're not like they're we're not just stumbling along them. They're purposely staying elusive in in the shadows. So there's no, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think the UFOs are then? I think they're rovers like we send over to <laughs> Mars. I think it's the same thing. I think they're sending little test rovers to check us out. Oh my God. Get that. Kevin, your thoughts. <laughs> what do you think they are, Kevin? UFOs? Oh my God. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they just never come get me, right? <laughs> That's the plan. Okay. Clearly, the UFOs are just new technology from the Chinese government that they're testing over America. Now, the reason the government doesn't want to talk about it is because we've probably got our own stuff and there's different levels of classification. Not everybody's in on it. You know, what I really was hoping to hear is that you had a guy reach out to you from like the CIA and he's just like, dude, you fucked it up. They don't look like that. Like that would be they my look favorite. like me. And or boom. What about this? You're missing. <laughs> hey, uh, that camera technique would never work. They know how to shut that down. And I feel like we buried the lead here. I have one of the first questions I want to ask you was, where did the concept with the camera in the hearing aid come from? You know, when we were trying to figure out, just like you said, there's no way you could go and like if these aliens have the technology to because they're purported to shut down all electronics. Like, like everyone knows that, right? Like when they're taken, when people are taken, like you always hear part of the story is, the cars got turned off. The cameras were turned off. All electronics are shut down. So it was important to us to sort of bring you into the reality of this movie, like to make it feel real for this lead character to have figured out a clever way to bypass that. So what he says at, in one point in the movie is that aliens shut down all electronics when they take you so that they can remain elusive. But what they don't do is they don't shut down human bioelectronics like they don't shut off pacemakers and he goes and they don't shut off hearing aids or anything uh related to health and he goes and that's when i knew i had a power supply and he said but then the other problem is is that they're telepathic so <laughs> even if you are recording them they would know and he said so that's why 
I, I work this camera into my cochlear implant, but put it on a random record setting so that if I don't know it's recording, they wouldn't know. And he goes more into that. But we thought we had to create that sort of loophole in the beginning of the movie to sort of make it feel a little more authentic so that hardcore UFO people wouldn't go, yeah, no, that's bullshit. It would never work. You know? Well, even just as a concept, it, it's a fascinating idea. And you know, yeah. the way you captured it too is, I, I don't know. It's like, we kind of got like a fisheye lens. Like what did you actually use to make that footage? Uh, we used a stripped down little GoPro. And the problem was you couldn't, you couldn't do a head rig. So we had a handhold that camera uh, every sing- every time, right, Kevin? Yeah, we had to just basically hold it where the cochlear implant was, and then and then we we needed the high, a really high resolution setting on it because we had to do visual effects on top of GoPro footage, which I don't I don't know if anyone's done the level of visual effects we did on GoPro footage, but we knew we had to shoot at a really high resolution rate. So there was a natural fisheye to it anyway, and then we enhanced that a little bit and did some other things to it. But um, we we had to get into a GoPro and sort of strip it down to get it close enough to the guy's head to make it look authentic. You know, we also filmed, I've filmed with little pinhead cameras before on other professional projects. So I knew that the footage coming off of these tiny little cameras was like even micro cameras was really high resolution and, and really authentic. And when we got done with the first edit, it didn't look like pinhead camera. It looked like it was shot on an Alexa. And it was a problem because sort of our first viewer response was, it doesn't look like hidden camera footage. So we had to enhance that a little bit, um, which which is sort of backwards, right? You would think a little camera would give you this sort of pinhead look, but it didn't. So we had to, we had to enhance that a little bit to sell it, you know? Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Like if you had a flat image, like the one thing that stood out to me was it does feel um, like the lens has an angle on it, like a fisheye which would make sense if you had a micro camera and you're trying to capture a wide area. But I, I mostly think it's interesting that you wanted to shoot it in high resolution because again, that's almost going against the, like the rule of found footage where, you know, that indie kind of out of control documentary filmmaking is, you know, obscure, like try not to show everything yet. You guys have strong practical effects in 4k. It looks fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't want to, we were trying to do the opposite of hiding things in the shadows, you know? Like, you guys have all seen the Alien movies. Aren't aren't you always disappointed that it takes the whole movie to finally see the alien at the end? Oh, yeah. So we went, let's just show everything in vivid detail as much as we can. And maybe there's a reason movies don't do that. Like, maybe it'll fail. But as UFO fans and sci-fi fans... We thought, how cool would it be to show a movie where you see aliens right from the start of the movie to right to the end? Um, so that everything you always want to see in a movie that normally is reserved for like shadow jumps, you know, we went, let's dispose of all that. And let's everything that you hope to see, we thought in the alien report, you will see. So even with the men in black, you know, he's putting a lot of effort into trying to chase down these cars on a bike. We went eventually we want to reveal everything, you know, without, without waiting to the end of the movie. Yeah. I love the idea of the two antagonists in the film because ultimately humans feel like the bigger threat to our lead than the aliens. Like there's almost a weird comforting 
feeling when you're in the UFO with them, uh, given it's a UFO, because really there's no context to any of the footage we get with the aliens. And I feel like that's a great like part of your storytelling here, too. I don't know. I, you know, it's a fascinating film. Do you have any idea of like, a re- I, what the hell? You guys aren't even on IMDb. Yeah, no, we were, we were just trying, we, uh, you're being so polite to us. We're trying to avoid any professional critique of it. Um, because we, because it's so different. Maybe that's just fear. I don't know, but we were really liking what we, yeah. Kevin, (laughs) the the critiques you're going to get from critics, it's going to be what critics do. They, They don't know about like the, the form of breaking all the rules of Hollywood. They're going to look at this and be like horror. They probably won't watch the whole thing. They'll see aliens that look incredible and not give a shit. It's going to, I would, I would expect critics to rip this movie apart, but yeah. I, you didn't make this movie for them. You made no, it, it, it and it's a unique vision that people will latch onto. And it will be like a, uh, I hate to say it because I hate it when people say it beforehand, but this is going to be a cult movie. And yeah. the fact that that many people, like what I think you said, like 600 have seen it. Yeah. How? You can't Google it. You can't find it anywhere. It's not on IMDb. That means people were telling us, these are the cool people that, that I like that will sit, yeah. slide in your DM and be like, hey, here's a fucking movie. It's going to cost $20 to rent it. $8 now. Go check that shit out. And it's like, if you don't trust that person, well, clearly you're not even in this conversation because you're basic. You're, you're, you know, we, we had, um, we had, uh, I wasn't sure what to do about the critical response. Um, so there's a guy in Chicago who coincidentally works with M. Night Shyamalan. He's his, uh, his PR person. And I said, what do you think? Should I throw yeah, this that's up an on easy job. I know. <laughs> 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 He, uh, I, I got him on the phone um, and he watched it and he really liked it. And he goes, man, he goes, you got something different here. He goes, I go, what should I do? Should I start reaching out to critics and put this up on IMDb and do this and that? And he said, you know, he goes, in all my years working with movies, because he's a 70-year-old guy, I think, and he's been doing it his whole life. M. Night Shyamalan just brought him out of retirement to do his next film, you know? So he's been helping me a little bit. And he said, I think for now... He goes, let this movie get discovered. He goes, he goes, if you're asking for my own personal opinion, he said, keep it off of the review websites just for now. He goes, and then he goes, let it get discovered by someone who wants to help you. And he goes, I don't know what I mean by that. He goes, I'm just sort of speaking off the cuff from my gut. And he, you know, I don't know if he meant that to the extent of just never do it, <laughs> but, he, but he just told me that two weeks ago. He was, he's been locked in a hotel, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's filming a movie, and the entire crew uh, was sort of uh, quarantined uh, in a hotel so that no one spreads COVID. And so he spent, was spending a lot of time on this movie, and he had time to talk, you know, send me emails. And so I, I just sort of went with his advice a little bit. Um, but, I, but I hear what you're saying. I think, I think not being able to find it is a, is a challenge, right? it's a challenge but it's also a testament that there's value here because we live in an age where there are 18 different streaming services that all have original content coming out and honestly it's all well made and good yet people need to make the time to find your movie and they're doing it and like we spent 40 dollars on rental fees for your film and i don't regret it 
Like, dude, it's legit. Yeah, thank you. You're so nice. Um, when I hear that people are overpaying for it, um, it sends a shockwave of guilt through me. <laughs> it's not <laughs> overpaying. Now, again, they were doing the VOD and theatrical release, and they were charging $25 a rental fee. It might be the future of film. I hope not. But I, I think, man, Film Fest are probably going to be the way for you to let this grow. And when audiences latch onto it and they try to raise their own um, celebrity influence by being the people who discovered your film, yes. critics will see that and then they'll get on board. If you let the critics dictate the wave first, then they're just going to bury it because we live in a PC culture, but nobody's going to stand up for your alien movie. And plus, if, you got, if you've got the alien, you know, if you've got this for 20 bucks and then Cruella for 30. <laughs> <laughs> every day so uh but seriously guys this was um an absolute treasure and uh it was great to talk to you guys as seriously um one of the it may be the most uh technically impressive independent films i've ever seen in my life and uh it was just a honor to talk to you guys it's an honor to talk to you guys i can't tell you you know thomas burke shot me an email and said hey uh you guys are reviewing our film. And I sat with my wife and Kevin was listening to. Oh, no. <laughs> and we laughed our asses off. I mean, I'm sorry that we haven't been that funny during this interview, but you guys are so hilarious. I enjoyed that review uh, more than anything I've listened to in a long time. Well, and so we were especially excited. We've been sort of like purposely hiding in the shadows, just trying to figure out how to raise some money to pay for like insurances and things that we need to get this in theaters. and. Uh, uh, we weren't sure if we even wanted to start doing interviews, but when we heard your show, I mean, it was a no brainer and thank you for having us. Yeah. Of course, man. We're, we're a weird outlier. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that, oh man, it's almost like embarrassing to know that y'all heard the TBR report because that was just going to be our fun. Yeah, I don't, honestly, it was a way to keep me on track talking about found footage films. And Thomas has been so good. He's my buddy that f discovered your film. I have no idea how he found out about it. But Thomas, thank you, man. I know you're listening. And um, I would like to be buddies with him, too. I, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times and uh, I've watched a couple of his things since. And that guy, I don't I think he's a really young guy and I think he is on his way. He is so sincere and such a, a great person. So I, I'm thankful that he hooked us up. Yeah, I know. hate him, too. He's, he's a sweet, sweet boy. He's young and talented. <laughs> and I fucking hate you, Thomas. Um, Patrick, Kevin, I love you guys, man. Uh, thank you for hanging out. All right. Thank you so much thank for having you. us.